It's so good to be together in the presence of God, the Father, together. This, is, this can only happen because of Jesus Christ. And I am, I am very happy to be here with you. We're going to read the Word of God together. Luke chapter 23. We'll start in verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked, the body, asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be, li- be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the, le- to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for these gospel accounts, these precious accounts of the resurrection of your son. Lord, I ask that you would be with us tonight and be with us as we linger on your word. Lord, enliven your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm just struck by the phrase that it seemed to them an idle tale. Lord, so often I think we hear the promises, we hear the story of your son and his resurrection and what that means, and it seems to us an idle tale. But Lord, I thank you that you rose nonetheless. And I pray that your presence would be here and that you, Lord Jesus, would show yourself powerful. Uh, And we bless you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before church, Shannon asked me what I was going to preach on. Was I going to preach on the resurrection? It's not quite Easter. You know, are you going to preach on the crucifixion or the resurrection? Well, yes. Let me read this scripture, and this is my theme for the night. 
1 Corinthians 2.1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus is risen. He is risen. We say it every year and we believe it all year long. He is risen from the dead. No longer to die. But we don't. We're not risen. Now, in a certain sense, we are. Paul says that by faith, we're united to Christ and we're united with him at his right hand. But in another sense, we haven't been raised. And so what I want to talk about tonight is this space that we live in between the cross and the resurrection. Because that's the space he's called us to. And that's the space that the resurrection really makes a difference in. It's the space that we're called to live in until we die or until he returns. We live in hope of the full realization of the promise. And I would encourage you to look at Romans chapter 8 where Paul says we long and we groan and we wait. And Paul says things like right now we see through a glass darkly. And I think it's really, really hard to get this right. To get this tension between Jesus is raised from the dead. I am raised with him by faith, but I'm not yet raised yet. How do we live in the space in between? And what does the resurrection make sense? How does the resurrection make sense of that? And again, I think it's easy to err on either side. You can err on the side of a kind of over-realized, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm born again and there's never going to be any problems anymore and, and life is blessing and prosperity and that's it. Or you can err on the side of, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I believe in Jesus and I'm going to heaven when I die, but I'm a miserable wretch and that's all there is to say about it. But I want to suggest that part of an essential part of the gospel and the news that Jesus has raised from the dead is that the resurrection makes sense precisely of this space that we will live in until the Lord tarries or until we die. The good news of the gospel is not fully told until it touches on this life that we live until Jesus returns or we die and go to be with him. And again, I would encourage you and I would challenge you to search the scriptures. Challenge me on this. But I think Paul would say... They're characterized by suffering. It's characterized by, again, seeing through a glass darkly. We sang it tonight. Creation groans. And we who hope in Jesus groan inwardly as we wait for our full adoption, which the scripture says is the resurrection of our bodies. So here's my question. Paul says, I determined to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why not? I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him raised. Why did he say I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified? Well, in a certain sense, even the risen Jesus has the marks of crucifixion still. When he appeared to his disciples, he showed them his hands and his side. But again, in in Corinthians, if you look and if you know the book of Corinthians, the end of Corinthians has this long exposition 
by Paul of the resurrection of the body of Jesus and the promised resurrection of those who believe in him. So why does Paul say, I want to know him, nothing but Christ and him crucified? Why not the resurrection part? And this is what I want to suggest. Because you could summarize the way Jesus lived by the cross, by a life given and poured out for the sake of the world. And that way of living and that way of thinking and that way of orienting oneself cannot be destroyed. It says in Hebrews that Jesus was raised because the power of an indestructible life. See, Jesus came from the Father and he determined, he took on our flesh and he determined, I'm not going to live for my rights. I'm not going to live to defend myself. I'm going to live my life in obedience to the Father and in love for others, and that is going to kill me. And precisely that kind of life cannot be destroyed. Now, I would also say that that kind of life, the kind of life of not fighting for one's rights, not insisting on one's own way, and giving yourself in love is also precisely what got him killed. But it's important to note that the cross is not new as a summary of the way Jesus lived. That way of living is not new. It's just that when that way of living enters history, crucifixion is what happens. Because the human race has been steeped in living for ourselves and defending ourselves, and securing our own good for ourselves, and grasping and holding on to our rights. And anybody who comes along and lives at something differently, we say, there's something wrong with that, and we've got to kill it. But I want to suggest that the way Christ lived as exhibited on the cross is the way of his heart before he took on flesh. It's the way of the Father with the Son and the Holy Spirit in eternity. And when that comes into history and into time, it gets crucified. But Paul said, I want to know Jesus Christ and nothing but him and him crucified because Paul knew that that is the way of life. That the way of the cross, that the way of being poured out, the way of following Jesus down in his emptying for the sake of others is the way of life. It's the way of joy. It's the way to the resurrection. Amen? So I want to insist that that's what we need to do. See, Paul never really separates the cross and the resurrection. In Philippians, he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and what's next? And the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul never separates the two. But sometimes we do, and that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Corinth tonight. Anytime I struggle as a pastor, I read the book of Corinthians. And then the book of 2 Corinthians. And I come away feeling really great. So I want to talk about the Corinthian church. Because they were a church of people who believed in Jesus. They were filled with the Spirit. They had all kinds of gifts. They were going to heaven. And yet there was a real problem in Corinth. And it had to do with the resurrection. And it had to do with they didn't really want to know Jesus crucified. They wanted to know Jesus powerful and successful. 
but they didn't want to know him crucified. And there was a problem in Corinth because this was their attitude, and they were not maturing. They were failing to thrive. In a real sense, even though they were believers in Jesus and had received the Spirit, they really didn't get the resurrection because they didn't get the cross. They were going to heaven, but they weren't really living as citizens of heaven. They weren't really transformed by what they had come to believe. See, they were characterized by things like this. They were really impressed with human strength and human success. They were really impressed with human standards of goodness and success. They were all of them, many of them, living for their own freedoms and enjoying their own freedoms and insisting on their freedom. In fact, they were insisting on their rights. They were demanding their rights. They were quarreling with one another. And, oh man, they were quarreling over what they knew to be true. They were right. And they were full of this fighting and quarreling. They were pursuing their own spiritual experiences. They were all over the map in all kinds of ways. And that is not the mind of Christ. That is not the life that Jesus died and rose to give us. It's a life of grasping, defending, securing one's own way. And Paul said, guys, 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 you don't get the resurrection because you don't get the cross. So look at some of the signs of their tone deafness, some of the signs of the ways in which they were missing this central tenet of the gospel. There were cliques and factions and divisions among them. There were groups that were kind of separated from one another and said, I'm on this side and I'm on that side and our guy is better than your guy. They were full of this division. Again, it gets back to the fact that they were impressed with human achievement. They were impressed with eloquent speakers and great systems. And they really weren't that impressed with the weakness of the cross. With the frailty of the cross. And so Paul appeals to them, guys, remember, none of you were very impressive, sorry, when you were called. And read the Old Testament. Most of the people that God picked They're not that impressive. In fact, it's a principle. It's a a rule. God picks weak things, unimpressive things, lowly things, despised things. And so Paul says, I appeal to you, Corinthians, become foolish, weak, despised. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Because he went the way of the cross and that's the way I'm going. He wanted them to know Jesus who became weak and defeated human strength and defeated human sin, and defeated death and the devil through the weakness of God on the cross. Amen? And he wanted them, listen, to know the joy of the crucified life. The joy of the life that is not impressed with human strength. The Corinthian community was full of a real big problem with uh, toleration of sexual immorality. And they said, well, we're free. We're free. We're free. Everything is possible to us. See, they lived by the principle of freedom. They, they believed in this principle of freedom. And, of course, we live in America. And we know our rights and we know our freedoms. And whenever they said, yes, but we are free, Paul said, yes, 
But there's another way to live than just, by what, just for your freedoms, just by what you think is allowed. You can live by the, the principle of having your freedoms or you can live for what is best for others. You can live for what brings freedom. You can live for what builds other people up. You can live and give yourself to what is for the common good. So there's your freedoms. But let me show you a better way. It is the way of giving your life. Because Christ did not live for what he was allowed to do. Thank God. He did not live for what was allowed, what was permitted by the Father. He said, Father, what is the best? And he came and died for us because it was for the best of all. And he invites us into the same mind. Amen? Because that is the way of joy. Jesus wants us to enter into the joy of living not for what's allowed, but for what's best. There were lawsuits in Corinth between believers. They went before pagan courts, suing one another over we don't know what. They were probably fighting on Facebook over COVID policy. (laughs) They were appalled at how people dare to treat them. They were primarily oriented on their rights. What was theirs by right. And they were going to get what they deserved, no matter what. They were protecting themselves at all costs. Paul says... Why not choose to be wronged? Because Christ himself submitted himself to the worst, most egregious wrong in all of history for our sake. Why not follow him down? Why not follow him into that way? Because again, he wants us to know the joy of fellowshipping with him in his sufferings. Paul was really aware of this. He said, guys... I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And he wasn't talking about the fact that the cross wasn't sufficient. He was talking about the fact that when you follow him and you live this way of a life given and poured out for others, it'll bring suffering. But you know what? It'll have a joy that cannot be quenched by any suffering or any sorrow. Amen? They had all these debates about meat-eating and what was allowed. They were running around, offending one another, asserting their freedom. And Paul says, guys, 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 you know what's right. Let me tell you something. Knowledge puffs up. Guys, you're living for what puffs you up. You are certain that you know X, Y, and Z. But are you really asking, I mean, are you really, have you really embraced the cross to say, I want to build up God. I, I see through a glass darkly. I don't know what all the things I think I know, but I know this, that you have opened up the way of life. And I want to give myself in that way of life. I want to give myself to building other people up. Christ gave up his rights so that he could give us, that he could set us free. He became a slave to set us free. And he wants us to know the joy of a poured out life. Are you, are you getting a feel for what I'm saying? Their communion was a mess. When they showed up at church, some people were snubbing or ignoring other people in church. Un, people unlike them. 
They were coming to enjoy their, their, you know, spirituality. They were having their experience. It was wonderful for them. And Paul said, listen, guys, if you really discerned the body of Christ, you would attend to the people around you because they are the body of Christ. If you really discerned what was going on when you gathered at the Lord's table, you would do that. Christ came He gave his body and his blood so that we could give ourselves to one another and not be turned in on ourselves, even in our spirituality. Finally, there was tons of debates about spiritual gifts. There was all kinds of craziness going on. They were, I would suggest, demanding and discerning consumers of their preferences for a worship experience. They knew what they liked, and man, they were having a blast. They were entertaining themselves spiritually, maybe even entertaining themselves with God. They were doing all of this, and Paul said, Guys, you show up at church and you have this wonderful experience, and you don't think about anybody else. He said, I want to show you a more excellent way. You know what the more excellent way is? To get on your knees before church. And just say, Father, would you please give me something to build up the people of God? God, would you please give me something to encourage your saints? That's the way of the cross. That's the way of being poured out. That's the way of suffering. So Paul is essentially, he says this many times in Corinthians, he says essentially, grow up. Grow up. Guys, you're thinking like children. You're thinking like infants. You've received all kinds of gifts from God, but you haven't come into your full inheritance. I want to invite you, Corinthians, to take on a new way of looking at life that comes from the gift of participating in Christ himself's own mindset. Paul says later in Corinthians... Who has known the mind of the Lord to be his counselor? But, I want you to think about this, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? That means among the many gifts of Jesus' death and resurrection is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and if we are willing, he will teach us the joyous, freeing way of being poured out for others. The joyous, freeing way of sometimes paying a really big price for that. But the, the freedom and the joy of fellowshipping with Jesus in that kind of life. Paul says, come on, Corinthians. Receive this way of life. What is the mind of Christ? Paul sums it up in 1 Corinthians 13. And You could substitute the mind of Christ here because I think love is shorthand for the mind of Christ. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. Love does not brag. It is not puffed up. Now let me stop. And just as everybody thinks, yeah, and I wish my wife were more that way. Paul is showing us the more excellent way for us, regardless of how anybody else treats us. It is not rude. It is not self-serving. It is not easily angered or resentful. 
It is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We're very familiar with that. But see, Paul is inviting us into the flow of that love that was poured out on the cross, raised from the dead, and poured out into our hearts. And we are called to take on the mind of Christ, the mindset of Christ. A mindset is a way of looking at yourself and others and the world that sometimes, if you have one mindset, it takes a while to take on another mindset. You have to do it deliberately. You have to practice it. You have to, you have to think about it. It's kind of like riding a bike. Once you get it down, it's easy. But it takes time in order to do it. The mindset of the flesh says something essentially like this. I'm not loved. No one is looking out for my best interest. I've got to look out for my own happiness. And I can't, I've got to be sure I cannot lose out or waste my life. But the mindset of Christ is and was this. I'm loved by my Father. And nothing can separate me from that love. My Father has goods for me in store for me beyond my imagining. I can trust him entirely with my well-being. I am free to give my life for what is best without regard for what it seems like I might lose. Because I can do that, and no matter what, he is going to give me life. I have life in me that cannot be extinguished. That's the mind of Christ. That's the mind that can endure any suffering. That's the mind that has transformed the world as his people uh, all over through history have known the joy of following in that mind, of practicing that mindset. So that's my invitation to us tonight. If you can identify with anything in the Corinthian church, the invitation is for you. If you can identify with any of the quarreling, the frustrations, the fighting, uh, any of that stuff... Here is why I believe Paul said, I want to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Because he knew that the way of God, the way of being poured out like Jesus was and following him in that way is the way of life. The way of freedom, the way of joy, and the way that Jesus died and rose again to enable us to live in. Amen? Amen. I want to close by reading Philippians chapter 2 and 1 through 11, because this is Paul's great invitation uh, into this mind. And as we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection, let's grow up. Let's follow him. And let's determine that for the rest of our days, we want to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen? Stand with me as I read this verse. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy, be of the same mind, and having the same love, being united in Spirit, and having one purpose, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility... Be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had.
who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died and you rose again. We thank you that you lived the life of the Father and the Son and the Spirit in history. You lived this life of being poured out, and you went all the way into the worst, the worst state of mankind. And you taught us that death is not the end for those who pour their lives out in love. You showed us that the way of the cross, the way of weak service to others, following you is the way of life. It is the path to joy. It is what you died and rose again to bring us into. That life now in history, through a glass darkly, with groaning and suffering, but Lord, in eternity, with joy when you wipe away every tear. We bless you for that and thank you, Lord, for the grace that you give us to share in that life with you. Amen. Amen.